Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy, as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website, as well as on this podcast. My guest today is Kevin O'Connell, former director of the Commerce Department's Office of Space Commerce, and now the founder of Space Economy Rising, LLC, working with clients and partners worldwide on all aspects of the space economy. And Kevin, thanks for taking some time to join us today. Tom, thanks for the invitation, and I'm delighted to be here with you and, and your listeners today. Let's start in with some of your time at the uh, Office of Space Commerce. During your tenure there, what did you consider some of the major accomplishments that you saw? Sure, thank you. Uh, at a top level, you know, with the National Space Council, we were able to highlight the economic importance of space in addition to the traditional civil and security aspects of space. And we were also able to highlight the critical importance of a strong, vibrant commercial space industry uh, to our economic and national security. Uh, that's prominently reflected in the 2020 National Space Policy, for example. I think the other thing we were able to do was to demonstrate the critical relevance of the Commerce Department as an entity, the entire Commerce Department, mm -hmm. uh, to the nation's space goals and to the space industry writ large. Uh, folks often ask me if the Office of Space Commerce was a new invention. Uh, in fact, the office was uh, had been in, in existence for over 30 years. And the central idea of the Office of Space Commerce was always to act on behalf of and with the entirety of the Commerce Department. And I think we really were strong in demonstrating that. That, that whole of commerce approach that we took was demonstrated in everything from SSA and space safety efforts to PNT resilience and cybersecurity of space systems efforts to international competitiveness and advocacy and, and other issues. Was it challenging to convince the Commerce Department that space commerce is a thing? No, I, not at all, actually. We had great enthusiasm from across the entire department, uh, participation in everything from the technical agencies like NIST and NOAA, uh, participation from the grant making and economic development organizations like EDA and MBDA, uh, and, uh, and obviously uh, ITA's work on international competitiveness uh, was really uh, had considerable enthusiasm from the entire department to be part of this 21st century missionary. Now, obviously, you're an appointee. Uh, you were an appointee, serving at the Correct. pleasure of the president, um, and we'll get to a little bit of that in just a moment. But was there anything that you kind of left on the table when you left the the department, the Office of Space Commerce? Oh, obviously, I, I think there's there was a lot to be done, and there's still a lot to be done. You know, we'd made an excellent start on SSA and space safety. Uh, and, and that is a mission that is going to continue. Everything we talk about in space commerce is dependent on us having a safe and sustainable space environment. That's recognized by the government, by the entirety of the government. It's recognized by, by industry, recognized really uh, uh, across the board. Uh, and the NAPA report from last summer actually recognized our highly collaborative approach to that, whether with our U.S. government colleagues, with private sector and with our international partners like the EU SST and, and the Japanese and, and others, very when, much so. When you talk about space safety, I'm going to assume you're talking primarily about space junk. 
mostly about space junk, not not only about it. Yeah. And you know, we were successful not only on the technical pieces of it, in, in essence, trying to understand in a deeper way what is going on in the space environment for space safety reasons, but also working with our colleagues to develop the rules of the road, if you will, for space. Uh, which have to be informed, in our view, by industry, given the speed of developments in, in the space industry. Uh, and so that was obviously a big thing that that, that needs to continue uh, with commerce and the interagency. Uh, on the other hand, we had uh, additional ideas about uh, everything from new ways to advocate on behalf of the U.S. commercial space industry, some other ideas about regulatory reform that we think, and I may mention that again in a little, in a little bit later, mm -hmm. um, but also how to establish new relations with other parts of the U.S. government, uh, such as the Exim Bank, the Development Finance Corporation, if you will, the economic development and aid parts of the U.S. government to help them engage on behalf of the U.S. commercial space industry, partly to establish new relationships with emerging space partners abroad. Uh, and so there are a lot of things yet to be done. Uh, and, uh, and obviously, uh, we hope that those will continue on. What did lead to your appointment as director of the Office of Space Commerce? So I had actually been working on space commercialization issues from the mid 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd written on commercial remote sensing. Uh, I had actually done some work on using intelligence data for environmental purposes. We'd written a monograph on that while it ran with, with uh, my good friend, Dr. Scott Pace. Uh, but I had also served in other roles. I was the staff director of the NEMA Commission. Uh, that's the predecessor agency to NGA in, in 1999 and 2000. Uh, it's funny because in those days, we actually wrote about the, the emergence of digital maps, and people thought we were all out of our minds, uh, <laughs> as it turns out. And I had also served in, in a role as both member and occasional chairman of the NOAA's Federal Advisory Committee on Commercial Remote Sensing for the better part of a dozen years. Um, I was asked in early 2018 to testify at the second National Space Council meeting, again, on regulatory reform. Uh, and as a preamble to that, I was invited over to see Secretary Ross, who asked me one simple question, which really dominated the entire hour. And it was, why does the Commerce Department involve in space activities, Kevin? And we spent the entire time of that. Uh, at the time, I didn't realize it, but it was a job interview. I didn't, I didn't know it at the time. But uh, uh, anyway, the, the rest was history, actually. So kind of a public job interview, if you will. So to speak. <laughs> <laughs> so the BEA set, um, set up during your tenure a Space Commerce Satellite Account. And Dr. Tina Heifel, who was heading up that effort, was in fact our first guest on this podcast. And we, we had a lengthy conversation about the satellite account. Do you feel like that's going to be made permanent because it was a, an experimental thing at that time? And if it is, what kind of value does that bring to the broader economy? Well, so I, I don't know the answer to your question of whether it will continue, but I sure hope so. Uh, one of the things that I wrote about uh, when I was preparing for my, my interview, if you will, uh, at Commerce was the idea that the space economy statistics were relatively soft. Mm -hmm. uh, and and what, uh, what Tina has done, uh, tremendous credit to her, what she has really done is to develop economic statistics in the same way, uh, I'm sorry, economic statistics for space in the same way as we account for other national economic statistics. Uh, and I think that's vitally important to capture the contribution of this particular sector to the economy as we go forward. What was really a pleasant surprise in this was the tremendous contribution of and 
uh, participation by both industry, but also international partners. Uh, you know, we not only had tremendous contributions of data and methodology from industry, folks that had focused on this, but we had tremendous interest from around the world from National Space Agency heads, but also from economic statistics ministries, a different mm -hmm. group of people. You know, everyone from politicians to space agency heads to, uh, to investors, government and private sector investors really want to understand the contribution that they're getting from their own investments, but also uh, the contributions being made to, to national space economies, if you will. So I, I, I certainly hope that uh, this continues. This is just a start, uh, but I hope the effort will continue on. It's very important. Is there anyone in your estimation who doesn't think that the space economy is going to be a huge economic driver around the world in the next 15 to 20 years? No, I, I see tremendous enthusiasm for it. In fact, I spent a lot of time over my time at Commerce talking with space agency heads, uh, economic ministry people about the challenges and the benefits of participating in the space economy. You know, the, the way I think about it is, and I spent a lot of time talking with different countries about their views on this, what their capabilities were, what role they might play in, in the space, in the global space economy. And, you know, the way I would look at it is to say everyone is excited about the space exploration missions. Tremendous. It's breathtaking what we've been able to accomplish, you know, the, the early experimental asteroid mining work, uh, the landing on Mars, et cetera. But countries are overwhelmingly interested in space because of the economic activity it can generate. Economic growth, uh, the development of a talented workforce, uh, innovation and the development of a commercial space sector, if you will, or a high-tech uh, sector, um, and, and the talent that it, it attracts as well. And so there are lots of, if you will, on the ground economic benefits. And those are as much of interest to countries that are newly engaged in the space business as are the, the, the more exotic and, and exciting uh, space exploration missions. And of course, that trickles down into STEM education, into totally. all of the all of the technical things that are going to be needed for that workforce to to be able to bring the space economy into into reality. Well, you know, Tom, the uh, the extent to which we looked at the talent, I've spoken many times before about talent. We're going to need all the science and, and engineering talent that we can get to fuel the space economy. But the other thing we know is that there's a much wider range of skill sets that are going to have to be applied to fuel the space economy. Every Everything from artists and chefs to business applications, developers, lawyers and economists, things like that. If you only think about the science and technical piece, again, they're critically important, but we're going to need a wide range of diverse skills to actually fuel the space economy. And we're starting to see people pay careful attention to this. Even communications guys like us to be able to tell the story. Even communications guys. Exactly right. <laughs> now, the Trump administration was very pro-space, as we all know. He brought back the Space Commission, put Vice President Pence in charge of that. The Biden administration seems to be continuing that sentiment. Do you foresee this new administration as continuing to be pro-space and space commerce? Yeah, space is, is overwhelmingly bipartisan in nature. I mean, it, it really enjoys tremendous bipartisan support. Uh, I felt that when I was in the Commerce Department, and, and I'm, we've already seen uh, in the Biden administration decision to maintain the National Space Council. We'll have to see what they're going to do with that, of course. That's, but also, 
confirmation of a number of other programs like the Artemis program, like the, the idea of, of using nuclear power and propulsion to get us uh, in, into deeper space exploration and others. And so very much see uh, you know, more continuity than change at this point in, in, in pro-space. Uh, the other idea that I would say is, is that you know, the notion of a strong, vibrant, and growing U.S. commercial space sector is, is truly bipartisan. You know, I, I don't know anybody that's against that, and it would be silly to even think about it that way. So it very much is a, is a, enjoys bipartisan support in this area. I know there was some concern that Artemis might go by the wayside with the administration change, that they might have, have different priorities, but it seems like that program is, is destined to continue 2024 might be a little bit of an aggressive timeline, but I think they're eventually going to go back to the moon and make all, make the Lunar Gateway work and all of those things that were established by the Trump administration. Yeah, that, that seems to be the, the early signal from the administration. Again, more, more continuity than change here. Uh, you know, I hope that as they envision brand new programs, they will turn to the private sector first uh, to see what can, can be developed uh, the space debris problem, again, uh, is relentless, and, and it did not change on Election Day or Inauguration Day or anything like that. Uh, obviously, uh, we have to create a system for mitigating space debris, for understanding the space environment that is very dynamic. And, and the way that we approach that in, in SPD3 and other places was that we have to leverage the private sector to do this. Uh, because if we create an approach that satisfies our needs in 2021, that is not going to be successful. We need something that can anticipate the tremendous growth that is taking place in space, and whether in terms of the number of satellites that are going to space, the, the complexity of missions that are going to space, the arrival of space tourism eventually. Those are all going to demand we pay careful attention to this. And the way I see this happening is through leveraging the private sector. Which really leads me into my next question. What, in your view, is an appropriate role for the government in the private space sector? Well, so governments, let's talk broadly about governments. Governments play many roles in, in this market and many others. They are customers. They are regulators. They are sometimes competitors. Uh, they are patrons. Uh, many people often heard me talk while I was in the Commerce Department uh, about the fact that the government had become a better customer. Uh, mm -hmm. It had become by virtue of organizations, you know, we saw the benefit of this in the Office of Space Commerce. I would say that in the Defense Department, DIU was another example. And our offices and others were often sort of the first stop or a first stop for entrepreneurs to come in with a new capability, an idea. And it, it was an important signal to the government on what was coming in the market in terms of the breadth of it, the depth of the, of the activity that we could see, the financing that was behind it, to understand whether it might come 10 years from now or two years from now. Mm -hmm. uh, and the government also benefited from another modern uh, approach to this, which is once the government made a modest investment in a space capability as, or a space company, that company could go out to the private capital markets and get an independent assessment of whether it was seen as either a pure government activity over time or whether there were truly opportunities for commercialization. And so we're seeing a lot of that right now in, in, in what we're seeing in the market. And of course, one of the major ones was the announcement of SpaceX being selected to use the Starship platform to conduct the Artemis lunar landings. Absolutely. You know, j just another example of commercial capabilities uh, being brought to bear on very important government missions. 
You're listening to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton, and we're talking with Kevin O'Connell, the founder of Space Economy Rising and the former director of the Commerce Department's Office of Space Commerce. And let's move on now, Kevin, to uh, Space Economy Rising. You've just gotten this new venture off the ground, so tell us a little bit about it. Tom, thanks very much. And uh, what, what I did was I founded Space Economy Rising to really deal with all aspects of the space economy. Uh, and so in the early days of the company, we are focused on working with entrepreneurs that are trying to understand unique market niches, uh, create partnerships with other companies or with the private finance community, uh, or in some cases, simply trying to explain a highly technical service to a much broader commercial commercial market. So again, back to your, your future role as a space communicator, uh, <laughs> you've got a great business going forward. Uh, and so we're working in that area uh, with a number of entrepreneurs in the United States, in Europe, and, and even Japan at this point in the early days. Do you find that investors understand space, that they, they kind of know what they're getting into, or is it just, this is a cool thing and I want to, I want to be a part of it? No, I, I, it's a great question. I, I think we gave way to that latter approach probably 10 years ago. Uh, you know, it used to be very much a, gee, space is cool. Let's throw X million dollars at it. Right. I think there's a much, much more sophisticated understanding in the finance community these days of, A, what makes for a successful space company? You know, what are the ingredients, if you will? that will bring them to fruition. And, and at some level, there's also a way to work with that community. You know, note, for example, the incubators mm -hmm. uh, that are out there where they'll not only validate a technical concept, but they'll evaluate the team that's very important that goes along with that technical concept. And they'll work with them to help them understand it, how they actually run a business. And so that's a tremendous start for a company to get into what's a highly competitive space economy. No, I, I think the, the role of, of space finance, if you will, has, has become much more sophisticated. By the way, we're also seeing a lot of innovation in the finance community, mm -hmm. you know, to, to the extent we're seeing things emerge like uh, SPACs. Now, SPACs are not new, of course, right. uh, but the extent to which those are a new financial instrument in the market. And we've seen, we've heard about others, uh, space commodities exchanges, space banks, mm -hmm. things like that, 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 that people yeah. are exploring. And they need to explore in parallel with the space technical developments. And I know there's there's a great deal of interest. I was at a meeting this morning and was explaining some some to somebody about Xterra and kind of why we got into this business because the of the projection of basically it being a multi-trillion dollar industry. And they said, well, how do I invest in that? So there's there's a lot of interest even among small investors to, to and they may still be in the space is cool thing, but right. th that interest is out there. Absolutely, absolutely. In the space commerce market, Kevin, what types of clients and partners do you anticipate attracting? So, uh, as I said, we've been talking to a, a lot of people, uh, literally from around the world. One of the first things that I did was to team up again with Secretary Ross and some of his former investment partners and my former commerce colleague, Ian Steff, mm -hmm. to support his SPAC, which is known as Ross Acquisition Corporation, too. He had actually done a SPAC uh, before coming into the Commerce Department. And there we're looking at not only space, we're looking at a wide range of other disruptive technologies and boy, I have to say, if if 10% of what we're seeing from companies comes true in the next decade, it's going to be a very, very exciting time. Again, a wide range 
of disruptive technologies. But in terms of our clients and space economy rising, I've mentioned some of the entrepreneurs, the partnerships and things like that. But we're also talking to a variety of companies. Uh, I, I loved Tim Fernholtz, uh, Tim Fernholtz of Quartz. Uh, Tim had a headline a couple of weeks ago called Every Company is a Space Company Now. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought that was fantastic. Uh, because on the one hand, we have companies that are space companies, but increasingly, we have companies that are either processing space data, leveraging space data, trying to leverage new kinds of capabilities. And so again, we're looking both in the company, we're looking at both the supply side, what companies are bringing into the market, but we're also looking at the demand side. You know, what exactly is it that they can leverage that's coming forward in the space economy on what timetables, et cetera, and as I said, in some cases, it's simply helping space entrepreneurs, highly technically qualified people communicate in a different language, uh, not to a smaller space community, but to a much broader commercial audience. And so we've had uh, a number of clients like that as well. Uh, there are other things that are more exploratory on our plate uh, in the company at this point. We're talking to a number of, of, of media organizations that would really like to focus much more on space commerce specifically, mm -hmm. you know, the people, the companies, and the countries that are involved in space commerce, where they're at, what they're trying to do, what niches are they trying to occupy. Mm -hmm. And then another group of folks has approached me about creating, if you will, a space competitiveness institute, really something that's sharply focused on doing business in the space economy. So there's an awful lot to think about Last thing I'll mention is that academia is going to play a very important role here. Uh, I do want to do some work. I've done a lot of work in academia over the previous two decades before I entered back into the commerce back into the commerce department, uh, and I really want to do some academic work to encourage more scholarship in the specific area of space commerce. Which begs the question: Where is the United States and and even the entire world in the development of space commerce? So I, I really believe the United States does lead the world mm -hmm. in space commerce based on the breadth and diversity of entrepreneurship we see in the space arena writ large. And again, remember, it's not only space companies, but it's also other kinds of companies that, that are able to bring space capabilities to bear on, on, the, on their own businesses. But we're also seeing a tremendous amount of initiative in Europe, Asia, in particular in Japan, uh, but also in the Middle East and in Africa. Uh, so a lot of activity around the world. You know, we just need to look at a country like the United Arab Emirates to mm -hmm. understand a country that sees the value of space exploration and on the ground is trying to encourage uh, the emergence of a space of a space industry, if you will. And so tremendous activities around the world. Uh, again, as I said before, I think a lot of countries are interested in this because of the economic benefits, mm -hmm. uh, in addition to all of the other things that can be done. So do you anticipate then a high rate of growth in space commerce as compared to, say, the rest of the economy over the next five years? Where is, where is space commerce going to fit into the overall economic growth, both domestically and internationally? So, so I definitely see an acceleration of trends in the space economy. Now, as a starting point, obviously, what happens in the space economy will have some broad correlation to broader domestic and economic growth uh, and global economic growth. Mm -hmm. uh, but I still see continuing advantage based on the application of commercial efficiencies, if you will, and new technologies to the space business. Uh, you know, everything from 
the new development of the cislunar economy. Uh, I like to sometimes playfully say the moon is a lot closer than you think, uh, <laughs> not because the, th- the next thing that happens there will be the, the next two astronauts, right. you know, him and her, uh, but because we see already a tremendous amount of activity for exploration, potentially for resource mining uh, and things like that. Even seeing people thinking about the moon as a place to do functions that might otherwise be done on Earth, data centers and, and things like that. So the cislunar economy is underway. Um, we want people to think more explicitly about cybersecurity related to those kinds of things and, and essentially you know, uh, infrastructure, if you will, uh, related to the lunar economy. But we're also seeing very exciting developments, one of my favorites in, in satellite servicing. Again, I think mm-hmm. that changes the economics of space. Uh, I, I think uh, folks are often focused on the, the, con- the possible consolidation of the over 100 companies that are in the, quote, small sat launch business. Right. Uh, I look at that in a very positive way by saying that there may be consolidation, but it also will put us in a position where we have launch on demand uh, mm-hmm. in many ways. And of course, uh, you know, the, the veterans of the space industry will know that the traditional log jam was the entrepreneur that had a great idea, but was stuck for three years waiting for launch and, and a fairly expensive one. Right. That's changing dramatically now. Combine that with the CubeSat revolution and the ability to quickly test things and adapt them mm-hmm. as needed. Um, and we have a very exciting inflection point in the space economy. Uh, and so I'm very excited about what I see, you know, even in the next five years. You know, it's interesting because you, you mentioned launch costs and We've all seen with SpaceX and, and a reusable uh, booster platform that that is, is lowering launch costs. But for these smaller satellite launches that are perhaps start out on an airplane and then and then use a booster, and the more there's competition in that arena, the lower those launch costs are going to go and, and increase the access to space. Right. A- absolutely. Uh, we, we see competition as a good thing, obviously. Uh, we want it to be fair competition. I'm right. thinking mostly about overseas circumstances for U.S. companies, but but we we still think competition is a very good thing. You have started working, Kevin, on working to deepen our understanding of the key economic inputs and to the benefits of space activities. Could we have a little bit more detail on what you're talking about there? Sure, a- absolutely. Uh, I left commerce with the idea that we were underthinking about things that are the key enablers of the space economy. And we've talked about them already a little bit, Tom. You know, everything from the state of talent, you know, I I believe it's the state of Colorado Mm -hmm. at one point recently said it did not have enough talent to satisfy the demand in what is a rapidly growing space economy in the state of Colorado. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what is the state of talent? How do we encourage more people uh, to participate in, in in the space economy, dating all the way back to the, the, the STEM education that you mentioned a, a bit earlier. What's the state of entrepreneurship? How do we continue to, to affect, encourage entrepreneurship? Everything then from the state of regulation, there's still a lot of work to be done on regulatory reform, namely putting it on a much more dynamic footing to keep up with the speed of developments in the space economy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's hard to do. Policy always tends to lag technology, but it's something we have to pay attention to. What's the impact of private, private finance and insurance, things like that. So those are what I call the economic inputs. Uh, and then on the other side, 
an extension of the work we've talked about, Tina's work at BEA, mm -hmm. what are the economic benefits that are coming out the back end? Because a more rigorous understanding of the outputs of the space economy will be critical to government and private investors. It'll be critical to regulation. It will be critical to uh, the development of talent and, and all sorts of other things. Do you foresee that at some point they will start including in those statistics some of the, the data like, and I'm thinking about the Space Coast, I live in Florida, and when NASA kind of wound down the shuttle program, it was kind of a ghost town down around the Space Center. Now with SpaceX, Blue Origins there, OneWeb is there, so many of these companies, and that extends out to the housing market, the real estate market, all of the support things, the restaurants and shops and things of that nature that are taking care of all those people that are working in the space industry. Do you foresee that that's going to eventually be included in those economic statistics? So I don't, I don't know if it will extend out that far. Again, I think what we're having is a very good conversation about what to count and how to count it. And just being open and transparent about how we're going to count will allow people to say, you didn't include this, you didn't include that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if I if I held up my cell phone, that's not part of the space economy, but there are a lot of things that are on that cell phone that absolutely are. So mm -hmm. it, I'll, I'll leave it up to the, to the very good methodologists and people that think about these things for a living to decide what's proper to include or not, and then be open and transparent about it. So at least we know what we're counting and how it relates to other things that have to be counted. So, and, and of course the, the Florida Space Coast story is, is, is a tremendous turnaround mm -hmm. success. We are just about out of time. Fascinating how these uh, half hours kind of fly by, Absolutely. but I want you to just take a, a couple of minutes and look out 10 to 15 years. It occurred to me the other day that we went from 1957 to Sputnik to 1969 to landing a man on the moon, 12 years for that to happen. So look out the next 10 to 15 years in space commerce and tell us what you see. Well, I see tremendous economic activity going forward, whether it be in space or from space. Uh, and in so many ways, we're going to continue to see breathtaking exploration. I mean, think about the Ingenuity helicopter on Mars. How exciting right. is that? Uh, and, and yet in addition to that, uh, the creation of wholly new services that will improve our lives here on Earth. You know, we, we take, for example, GPS as, as, an, as, you know, as something that's given, and we use it probably 10 times a day. It, it, it doesn't only fuel the mapping app on my cell mm -hmm. phone. It has a lot of other things that, 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 it, that it contributes to, mostly on the timing function, of course. Uh, and so we see tremendous growth in those areas. I, I would also say another thing is just like in the Apollo era, we will see second and third order positive benefits in, in areas like medicine, you know, mm -hmm. things that we learn from space medicine about how to do medicine better here on Earth, uh, how to develop materials, things we, we, uh, we grow in the, in the microgravity environment and how we might do them differently on Earth. We're going to see a whole host of both primary, firsthand, but also secondary and tertiary benefits uh, to our lives here on Earth in, in ways we, we haven't even yet begun to imagine. Kevin, I wish you best of luck in your new venture, and it's great talking to you, and I hope you'll come back and join us again sometime on the Xterra podcast. Thanks, Tom. Really appreciate the invitation to join you today. That is going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. You can find us on the web at xterrajsc.com, and be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at xterrajsc. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for listening.